I feel him in this place today. I feel his presence in a mighty way. I want him to have his way today. How many want the Lord to have his way today? Turn to your neighbor and tell him, I want the Lord to have his way today. Amen. He is holy. He is righteous. Somebody say amen. Amen. I felt him uh, even, you know, sometimes, you know, church goes on. We have a lot of things going on. Sunday school classes and practices and worship and uh, Sunday school class and teaching and all that. But before we ever started today, I felt his presence in a special way. And I believe the Lord wants to speak to us today. Brother Kyle's already mentioned it. Brother Dale's already mentioned it. A couple things. I just want to say how much I appreciate our guests being here today. We're glad you're here this morning to worship with us. I, too, want to uh, say it's good to have Mason and Jessica here today. Amen. We are so honored they're here today. And uh, the kind things Brother Dale said about Mason. Amen. The only thing with Mason is he's from Mississippi. You'll just have to forgive him for that. But I guess he's all right. We love Mason. And Jessica is a wonderful lady of the Lord, and they're doing a tremendous work for God. Amen. We want people to be involved in the kingdom. Somebody say amen. If you are a veteran today, I'd like for you to raise your hand up. If you're a veteran, you've served our nation. Amen. Look, look around you, if you would. If you would, everybody that's a veteran, would you lift your hand up? Amen. Why don't somebody shake their hand? Why don't somebody say thank you for serving our nation? Amen. Uh, I love history. I have uh, in my entryway in my house, I have a bottle of sand from Omaha Beach in Normandy. I'll never forget the impact that was made on my life seeing those nearly 9,000, nearly 10,000 white crosses and stars of David on that hillside there overlooking those beaches where those men stormed into the face of terrible odds. But not only in history, in uh, American history in the past, but even in the present, I'm thankful for a nation that allows me to preach the gospel today thankful for a nation that was founded upon God and uh, when you get that messed up you're, you're going to get a lot of things messed up I want to tell you why there's men running around with suicide vests on and flying planes into buildings but because if you don't serve the true and living God you're going to devalue humanity see if you don't see God in every creature you're, you're going to mess things up bad. So I thank God for a nation that was founded not only on God, but in every person there's value. We have certain inalienable rights given to us by that Creator. Well, we've come a long way, but I'm thankful for a nation that uh, at least was founded upon that, and we pray that our nation would continue to stand for those things. Somebody say amen. Amen. And so I honor our vets today, our veterans, and uh, I appreciate your service. Uh, my granddad was a veteran. Uh, 
know, served in World War II. My wife's granddad was a veteran. My dad was a Marine, served in Vietnam. I appreciate these. My stepdad was a Navy man in World War II, shook hands with General Douglas MacArthur. I've got pictures of MacArthur coming onto the boat my stepfather served on. So uh, I love, you know, I love those that serve our nation. I appreciate it so much. And I can't say enough about that. Uh, but I'm thankful for the one that went into battle for us. Amen. His name is Jesus. And he has conquered death, hell, and the grave. And I'm thankful for that. Amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. I want to draw your attention to, I feel impressed to, to speak to you today from Isaiah chapter 6 and verse 1. This where we begin Isaiah chapter 6. Somebody say praise the Lord. Isaiah 6 and verse 1. Thank you, Lord. It was in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw also the Lord sitting upon the throne, high and lifted up, and His train filled the temple. What a victorious God we serve. He is still on the throne. And He has many victories. His train fills the temple. Above it, notice, He sees the Lord he mentions it in the very first verse, but notice after that what catches his, his attention. Above it stood the seraphims. Each one had six wings, and with two he covered his face, and with two he covered his feet, and with two he did fly. And one cried to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the post of the door moved at the voice of him that cried, and the house was filled with smoke. Then said I, Woe is me, for I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell or live in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For mine eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then flew one of the seraphims unto me, having a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with the tongs from off the altar, and laid it upon my mouth and said, Lo, this hath touched thy lips, and thine iniquity is taken away, and thy sin is purged. Also I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? Then said I, here am I, send me. And he said, go. Amen. The word of the Lord is forever settled. It will not return void, but it will accomplish what it was sent to do today. I'm standing on that. I'm trusting in that. I'm believing somebody's life is going to be drastically changed today. I believe somebody's going to surrender to the Lord I believe somebody that's been going their own way today is going to say, Lord, I want you to be the king of my life. Let's pray together. Lord, I thank you for your word. I thank you for what we feel in this place today. I thank you for your presence. 
I pray, God, that you would move in this congregation. I pray you would touch us. Lord, we don't want to just go to church and punch a religious time clock and silence our conscience for another few days. Lord, we've come to experience you. We want to know you. We want you to move in a mighty way. We want you, Lord, to have your way. I pray that the posts, the pillars would move. I pray that, Lord, the, the glory of the Lord would fill this place today. In the name of Jesus, I thank you for it. And we give you praise. And everybody said, in Jesus' name, amen. Let's give the Lord one more hand clap of praise before you're seated. Amen. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. You may be seated in Jesus' name. We ministered a few weeks ago about, as we began this journey, discovering people in the Bible who saw the Lord, who saw Jesus. Whether they were in the Old Testament or the New Testament, I believe there was something for us to glean from each one of them. And so... Again, today we come to Isaiah chapter 6 in the Old Testament where the prophet Isaiah sees the Lord. We'll see that effect, the effect that it had upon his life. I want to remind you if you haven't been here and you haven't heard Pastor preach in the last few weeks, I encourage you to go on the website. Thank God for a wonderful website and podcast where we can listen to the good things of God. Uh, But I want to remind you of the first man that we looked at who saw the Lord. His name was Saul on the road to Damascus. The title of the sermon was When the Man Going Up Met the Man Coming Down. And Saul uh, heard a voice. He fell off of his horse onto the the roadside. and, And there came a voice that said, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And Saul said, I don't even know who you are. Who art thou? And the voice said, I am Jesus whom thou persecutest. In the process of that message that day, we realized what Saul saw that day. He saw how Jesus was God manifest in the flesh. How that that man had come and suffered and died the death for every sinner. And how it changed Saul's life. He didn't want to be Saul anymore. He didn't desire to be what he was before. He became Paul. He wrote books to churches. He went and preached. He went on missionary journeys. He wasn't the same man after he met Jesus. Can I get an amen from somebody in this place? Then we came uh, a couple of weeks ago, last week, we had a little a guest speaker in between there, but last week we talked about uh, being scarred yet unashamed. How that the disciples saw Jesus on the first day of the week in the evening and he appeared in the room with them. And the Bible says he told them, peace be unto you. And then he showed them his hands and his side that Jesus was not ashamed of the scars that he bore for our sin and that he still had those scars in his hands, how he bore our burden, how he carried our grief, how he was wounded for our transgressions, was bruised for our iniquities. We are, as the choir sang so beautifully today, we are blessed. We are wonderfully blessed. We have come to so great a salvation. 
Amen. I'm so glad he called me out of darkness into marvelous light. I'm thankful for the blood of Jesus Christ. I'm thankful that it cleanses from all sin. Can I get a shout from somebody that knows that you're redeemed by the blood of the Lamb? Come on, anybody thankful for what Jesus has done for us today? Amen. Let's praise him for a minute. Thank you, Jesus. These are very important visions of what has been done for each one of us. The man coming down, how Jesus condescended, how God came and wrapped himself in flesh, and how he submitted himself to the death, not just death, but the death of the cross. And for that, we are thankful. But in light of those two things, I come today to discover something I think that's just as equally important. I alluded to it last time I preached at the end of the message about how if this is what has been done for us and if that blood has been shed for our redemption, uh, how, how great the sin would be if we neglect so great a salvation. How shall we escape, the writer says, if we escape, if we neglect so great a salvation? He's done so much for me, the writer said. Songwriter, I cannot tell it all. He took my sins away. I owe it all to him. Amen. I'd be foolish not to take advantage of what Jesus has done for every man and every woman. I'd be foolish to tread through the blood of the cross. I'd be foolish to be guilty of the blood and the body of the Lord. Somebody say amen. So that leads me today, knowing what has been done for us, that God came down in the flesh and it turned Saul into the apostle Paul. And the disciples saw the scars of sin that Jesus bore upon his body and he bore it for all of us. And it changed their lives as well. They were never the same. Eleven of the twelve were martyred for the gospel, gave their lives preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. Their lives were changed. But that leads me to something very, very important. Isaiah chapter 6. Isaiah says, It was in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw also the Lord high and lifted up. And his train filled the temple. What an incredible passage. I know you've read it so many times. And I read it today. And I know it's the word of God. And it's a story probably we've heard. But oh God help us to grasp what's going on here. In these few verses in Isaiah. Isaiah first of all was a preacher. He was a preacher. He's been preaching for five chapters if you read those five chapters, they're, they're interesting chapters. But Isaiah was a preacher. It's amazing to me, first of all, that Isaiah could be a preacher before he ever had a vision of the Lord sitting on the throne. It tells me that he's been doing something all those years, working hard for God, doing it desperately, doing a good work for God, but without vision. He's been serving in the strength of an old vision, an old revelation, a distant revelation, I might say. And his burden has become heavy. He's gotten stale. He's a little out, he has little outcome for his efforts. In fact, I would say Isaiah has gotten to the point of utter discouragement. 
You can hear it in the first five chapters of his writings if you care to read them. Yet all Isaiah knows that even though nobody's listening and nobody's hearing and nobody's, uh, nobody's uh, repenting, yet he's doing all he knows. So he just keeps on plodding on. Not seeing that he's not seeing. Unaware that he is blind. Not seeing that he does not see. You can see it if you look in the telltale signs. Check out those early years. I mentioned by the first five chapters of Isaiah. Read through some of his sermons. There's only two titles. That, <laughs> he's got five chapters of sermons, but they all have the same title. Woe to you. <laughs> Woe to you that do this. And woe to you that do that. When you read it, he's preaching against all kind of stuff. He's taking a stand for God and he's holding on to the truth. And surely that message is important. Surely what he's saying is important. Surely somebody should hear woe to us if we're in disobedience and rebellion. Surely that message is important as it is because it's not excluded from Isaiah, the first five chapters. But it's not until chapter 6. When Isaiah sees the king that he says, Woe is me, for I am undone. Woe is me, for I am undone. Done. I, I hope you're hearing me today. I preached two weeks ago that God condescended and came in the form of flesh for you and I. That he bore the scars of sin for you and I. But until we see this God as holy and righteous and magnificent, this God that rules the heaven and the earth, we too with Isaiah will be pointing fingers at everybody and saying woe to them and woe to them. But when we finally see the Lord, oh, our story changes. Our vocabulary moves and we say woe is me for I am undone. Oh, somebody love the Lord right now. Lord, help us to see you today. All those years he's carried the burden, not only without vision, not only without a fresh vision of the Lord, but you can tell now he's carried the burden of ministry without a broken spirit. He's carried the burden of being called as a prophet to God's people. And he carried that burden without a vision. Because in chapter 6 we see that he finally sees the Lord. And thank God that he did. <laughs> but he's carried that burden not only without vision, but without a broken spirit. I want to say, friend, if we're not careful, what God has done for us can go to our head. If we're not careful, all the grace and all the mercy and all the loving kindness... <laughs> And all the slow to wrath and all the long suffering of God can lead us to a proud and haughty spirit that pronounces judgment on everybody else and says, well, I'm just glad I'm not like they are. 
Oh God, help us to see a vision of who you are. It all changed when Isaiah saw the king. He said, woe is me for I am undone. He said, my lips are unclean and everybody I dwell with, their lips are unclean. And then he says, for mine eyes have seen the king. Mine eyes have seen the king. Oh, for a church that would get a fresh vision of who's on the throne and never forget it. And never forget how low he came for you. And never forget the price he paid for you. But now you must never forget that he is a holy, never changing, faithful, omnipotent, all wise, all powerful God that still dwells on the throne. Somebody give him a hand clap of praise. I hurry. It happened in the year that King Uzziah died. You're not sure about Uzziah's story? Let me remind you, it's found in 2 Chronicles 26. And here's the short version, the cliff note version. He was a God-fearing king. As long as he sought the Lord, God prospered him. And that happened for some time. But when he was strong, when he was blessed, I'm blessed. When he was blessed, his heart was lifted up in pride. And when he got proud, he got, it got dangerous. He got real bold. He started doing things he probably wouldn't have done a few years ago. And the Bible says he took it upon himself to get the go to the altar of incense, to offer incense in the holy place in the temple. The Bible tells us that the priests tried to stop him. They said, no, it's not right. You're commanded that you only the priest can go in and offer incense, a type of Jesus Christ doing the work. This is why it was a commandment. People say, well, what's the big deal? Who goes in there? Well, that temple was a type of what Jesus was going to do for us. And there's only one Savior. (laughs) And there's only one priest. (laughs) And so to ensure that type, it was commanded. Only the high priest could go in there. (laughs) And God wanted to, to reserve that as a type of the coming Savior who was our high priest. Somebody say amen. But King Uzziah did not, he disregarded the command of the Lord. He got the incense in the censer and he went in with his censer and shock upon shock as he walked in. The priest saw a white patch appear on his forehead and they all knew what it was. It was leprosy. And though he hurried to the exit and though he ran out realizing his mistake, the Bible says he was a leper from that day until the day he died. And Isaiah says, it was in the year that our king Uzziah died that I saw the Lord. Having seen what God would do to a good king, having seen that God would not even treat the king with a special uh, uh, reserve, that God would judge the king just like he would judge every other man. Isaiah says it was when the king died that I saw what a holy God does to any man that will walk into his presence unworthy. 
Now we're made worthy by the blood of Jesus Christ. But God forbid that I trample through that blood and continue to live in rebellious sin. Anybody hearing what I'm saying today? Isaiah was shocked of all people that should have been given a second chance, of all people that God, yes, he's holy, but this is the king. But Isaiah says it was when Uzziah died that I saw the Lord that God would even judge a king for his sin. It happened again in Acts chapter 19. The church at Ephesus saw how God dealt with Jewish exorcists trying to cast out a demon from a man and they used the name of Jesus without submitting to the name of Jesus. They tried to cast out a devil and you know what that devil did. He leaped upon him and tore them up, beat them up, sent them running with their clothing torn. And when the church saw it, you know what the church did? They realized they were dealing with a holy God. Yeah, look at it in Acts chapter 19. You know what they did? Oh, oh, it's terrible to have demon-possessed people. Oh, that's horrible. Yeah, look what that demon did to those people that weren't real believers. The Bible says that when they saw what happened in the spirit realm, they went back to their houses. They got all their occult books. Oh, wow. The very people that were so judgmental had stuff in their houses that when they saw this, they grabbed all that stuff and brought it out and threw it in a pile and in an attitude of great repentance the Bible says they burned all those hidden things of the occult that they had been hiding yes it's one thing to point your finger at everybody outside these walls but you better examine your own heart you're in the presence of a holy God he shed his blood that you might be saved he came all the way down to a manger that you might have a door oh anybody hearing what I'm saying today Isaiah said I saw the Lord high lifted up and his train filled the temple. Come on, clap your hands unto the Lord today. Jesus, help us. I hurry. What did Isaiah see? He saw the Lord. Everybody say the Lord. Everybody say high and lifted up. Everybody say seating on a throne. Sitting on a throne. And that's the only verse. It's verse 1. It's verse 1. I saw the Lord high and lifted up, strain filled the temple. And by verse 2, he is, he is drawn as to what is happening in that throne room. He says, verse 2, and around the throne were seraphim. Seraphim. Beautiful creatures. Angelic. Their constant task was to proclaim to one another, not to the one on the throne, but to one another. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The Bible says they are continually before his throne. And they're not saying, and you say, well, what an egotistical God. He, he has to be, no, they're not saying it to him. They're saying it to one another. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Their constant task was to proclaim to one another the holiness and the glory of the one that is seated on the throne. And it is this peculiar thing that seems to impact Isaiah. It's the thing that gets most of the ink. Yes, he sees the Lord, 
But this particular thing seems to impact Isaiah. He's already seen that God would be no respecter of persons. That if the king walked in, he didn't care if he was the king. Anybody hearing me? He's a holy God. I want to tell you, friend, I don't care how long you've been in this church. You're a sinner saved by the grace of a merciful God. Come on. And if we're not careful, we'll get up on our high horse and we'll be riding down the road to kill some folks. And God's going to have to show us again who he is. For he is holy. I thank God for a church that preaches, teaches, and is not embarrassed to tell people we serve a holy God. I'm thankful I'm in a church that holiness is not a curse word. No, I'm going to say it again. The Lord said to his people, you are to be holy because I, the Lord your God, am holy. Thank God for a church that still believes God's people ought to look like God's people. Oh, come on, don't turn me down now. You ought to talk like God's people. You ought to walk. Oh, come on now. Help me, Lord. I prayed for I come out here. I don't have long sermons. I just want you to know now, I, I can show you the notes. I don't have long sermons. It's not the sermon that's the problem. It's all the exits. It's all the exits I take. And I could take one right now, but I'll just let you do a little cursory study into church history. It is no accident that every revival in modern history, every, every one of them, Every one of them came through a group of people that their first revelation was that God was holy. Every revival starting in England and in Scotland and and ending up in America, every one of them in modern history started in a holiness movement. Denominations in this town, you'll drive by their signs and it'll declare who they are. If you look into their history, many of them started with coming out of the world and realizing that they serve a holy God. That you can't dwell in darkness and light at the same time. Oh, anybody hearing what I'm saying? Isaiah says, I saw the Lord. He was high and lifted. Oh, and then, oh, there's seraphims. And, and they're proclaiming one to another, holy, holy, holy. In fact, he is so holy, I want you to notice what Isaiah notices. He said, I noticed they had six wings. Six wings. Well, man, you think your wife can get up in the air fast. (laughs) These dudes had six wings. You talk about getting there quick. You talk about taking off fast. You talk about quick movement. They could get it done. Six wings. But notice what Isaiah notices. He said, I noticed they had six wings. But with two of these wings, they hid their face. 
And with two of these wings, they hid their feet. And with two of these wings, they flew. Notice, four of their six wings were used to hide themselves from the face of the one that was on the throne. They're hiding from the face of the one on the throne and they're saying one to another, he's holy, holy, holy. They're covering their feet. Basically what Isaiah is saying, you, you can, and he says face, that's upward covering. Two wings are going upward, two wings are going downward. They are completely covered in the presence of the one on the throne. God was so holy that these angelic, incredible creatures were veiling themselves before the one that was on the throne. Oh, that we could see him that way today, that he is holy. That he dwells in the light where no man can approach. Although they were beautiful, why were they doing this? And I, my clock's running, Lord, help me. Why are they doing this? Although they are beautiful. Make no mistake, the one on the throne was infinitely more beautiful. Although they were awesome, make no mistake about it, the one on the throne was infinitely more awesome. Although they were glorious, Isaiah said, here's the seraphim, and they look incredible, much like the king who doesn't deserve leprosy. He's the king, but then he sees these seraphims, and he says, wait, they're incredible creatures, but they're hiding themselves in the presence. They were careful, lest any degree of their beauty should somehow divert attention from the other beauty that was on the throne. No, you're not hearing me. These creatures realized that he is so glorious that I don't want to divert any attention away from the beauty of the one I serve. No, don't get upset when the pastor says, men and women, walk in this world holy. Cover yourselves. You know why? Because we don't want the world seeing us. We want them seeing the beauty of the, oh, of, oh, of the one that is on the throne. It's not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, saith the Lord of hosts. Oh, come on, somebody clap your hands unto the Lord. I believe in holiness. I said I believe in holiness. I don't want me to distract from the beauty of the one on the throne. So these seraphim made their supreme task to hide themselves with four of their six wings so that only the one on the throne could be seen. <laughs> Notice also only two of their wings were used for serving. The other four were used for hiding. Oh, how we've messed that up. Am I okay? I don't know if you've noticed the latest fad. The latest fad in home church is not about... <laughs> 
No, in Acts chapter 2, they continued in apostles' doctrine and fellowship. You know, the, the latest fad in home church is not about doctrine creating fellowship. It's not about I believe what this church preaches. The latest fad is where can I serve in whatever. And, and they'll forfeit whatever. They'll just throw churches on a heap like a trash pile. Well, I can't serve there and I can't serve. Well, I want to serve there and I want to serve. Well, if they won't let me serve, I'll go to. And nowhere. And it's all our wings are used for serving. And no wings for hiding. It's all about what we can do. Our identity is into serving. Our well, I, 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 I guess I should be doing more and I just feel out of place because I'm not doing my... Is anybody hearing what I'm saying? Isaiah noticed, wait a minute, I've been, I've been running myself ragged preaching to these people for five chapters. I've been, every one of my wings has been used for serving and now I see that serving is the least important. Hiding is the most important. It had a profound effect on Isaiah. These creatures were greater in might, greater in power and beauty than he could ever be. Their supreme concern was to hide themselves before God. Isaiah saw that his supreme concern was to display himself in fact, he might have thought, I'm gifted, I'm called of God, I'm working for God. Everybody should see that. In fact, I've heard it, and I know we mean it well, but we've said it one to another as preachers. We've said, oh, God's given you a voice, and people need to hear your voice, and You've got a word to say to this people and this generation and all that's fine and good but I don't see where four out of our six wings are, are designated for hiding. We use a lot of wings for serving but not a lot of wings for hiding. I think we do that when we haven't seen he who is on the throne. Isaiah hadn't been using any wings to hide himself. He'd been working hard on all six wings. Sure, He'd been doing it all for God. <laughs> and there are bonuses for doing it all for God. Status and people pat you on the back. Great message today, Pastor. But somewhere maybe that had become the motivation for doing what he was doing. And it was until he saw the king that his life was changed. And now as he looked on everything that had happened before, he comes under terrible conviction. Completely broken, he cries, Woe is me, for I am undone. Listen, as he gives us the reason, for I'm a man of unclean lips. What does he mean by this? The Bible tells us the lips are the tools of the heart. Somebody say amen. If his lips are unclean, it's because his heart is unclean. Am I okay? All right. Not only is his heart, not only his heart, but his lips represented his service. He's a preacher. He's a prophet. If there was ever one part he thought was consecrated to God, it was his lips. Those anointed lips. But that day, Isaiah realized that even his service was unclean, unacceptable because... It was self-inspired. And he had a lot of good sermons, even self-inspired. 
But this scene, the Bible tells us, whether we realize it or not, is going on in heaven right now. As we speak, as we have this service today, this scene is repeating itself right now in heaven. I take you to Revelation chapter 4, centuries after Isaiah. Look at Revelation 4. After this I looked and behold a door was open in heaven and the first voice which I heard was as it were of a trumpet talking with me saying come up hither and I'll show you things which must be hereafter. And immediately I was in the spirit and behold a throne was set in heaven and one sat on the throne. Oh thank you Lord. I got an issue with all these thrones people are saying are in heaven. John said I saw one throne and I saw one sitting on it. Come on, I got any Jesus people in here? I know who's on that throne. John didn't see, I've got to take a little exit. John didn't see anybody standing at the right side. He saw one throne and he saw one sitting on the throne. Oh, Oh well, maybe I shouldn't have took that exit. One sat on the throne. And he that sat on the throne looked upon like look was to look upon like a jasper and sardine stone, and there was a rainbow about the throne in the sight like unto an emerald. Verse four, and round about the throne were four and twenty four and twenty-four seats, and upon the seats I saw four and twenty elders sitting clothed in white raiment, and they had on their heads crowns of gold, and out of the throne proceeded lightnings and thunderings and voices. And there were seven lamps of fire burning before the throne, which are the seven spirits of God. Verse 6, And before the throne there was a sea of glass like unto crystal and in the midst of the throne. And around about the throne were four beasts full of eyes before and behind. Verse 7, And the first beast was like a lion, and the second like a calf, and the third had the face of a man. The fourth beast had was like a flying eagle. Look at verse 8. What's going on there in about 90 A.D. when the apostle John sees it on the Isle of Patmos, and the four beasts had each of them six wings about him, and they were full of eyes within, and they rest not day and night saying what? Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, which was and is and is to come if we could peel it back right now 19, uh, 21st century almost 2,000 years later we would hear them saying continually holy 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 this has been going on in heaven all the time and continues to this very hour the angels are still proclaiming the holiness and the glory of God. Oh Lord, help us to see it afresh and anew today. They are still hiding behind their wings. God wants us to see what Isaiah saw. God wants us to see that if our, if our supreme concern has been, on, has been to display ourselves, God wants us to see it. God wants us to see if we even use our service for God to some end to be blessed or seen of men, to be known, to be heard. Oh, the pride of it, the rebellion of it, abusing the grace of God and our call to service so that somebody can hear us, see us, experience us. In doing so, hiding the one we profess to be serving, 
He's holy. He's righteous. I want to see him on the throne today. Romans 11, verse 36. For of him and through him and to him are all things. We just need to leave that up there a while. For of him and through him and to him are all things. I don't know if I need to translate that, but I want to tell you everything you have, everything God has blessed you with is through him today. You wouldn't even be sitting in that plastic chair today if it weren't for the Lord. Some of you would have been dead in your grave if it hadn't been for the Lord. Some of you would have given up a long time ago if it weren't for the Lord. There are people in this room, and if it weren't for the Lord, they would have accomplished that suicide that fateful night. But because of the Lord, they are here today. There are families that would have been disintegrated if it had not been for the Lord. There is sickness that would have destroyed your body if it had not been for the Lord. Of Him, through Him, and to Him are all things. He deserves my praise. He deserves my praise. I don't care how bad your life has gotten. He's on the throne. Come on, does anybody want to praise him? Come on, does anybody want to love him? Isaiah says it, I close. For I am undone. He saw the king, it undid everything. Think about all the years of service. Think about all the boxes of sermons he had to pitch. These are useless. I'm undone. I've come apart. Isaiah saw the things which he had previously been content to count on as gain. He saw them all as lost. Five chapters, I'm undone. After years of successful service, in the light of the throne room, he realizes he's been doing it by himself. Oh, for a church that realizes that every prophetic word that's come across this pulpit and that old pulpit in there about what God wants to do in this community, oh, that this church would realize that it's going to be done not by us, but through us for the glory of the God that sits on the throne. If a drug addict is delivered, it's because of the glory and power of the one that sits on the throne. Oh, I thank God for praise singers and ministries and life groups and Sunday school classes and the teaching and preaching of the word. But I want to tell you, if one life is changed, it's because of the glory of the one that sits on the throne. We must never get it distracted. We must never let church be our God. We must never let religion be our God. We've got to clear Uzziahs out of our life so that we can see the Lord. Oh, would you pray right now, Lord, help me. God, help me to receive with meekness this word. 
Touch my family. Touch this church. In Jesus' name. So it leads me to close this sermon today with a question. Have you lost sight of Jesus? You'll notice it as Isaiah did when you start getting real judgmental. Yeah, you'll notice it. This is conviction. This is Isaiah realizing I've intruded into holy things. I've done worse than Uzziah. Uzziah took an incense center into the tabernacle. I've done worse. I'm, no wonder he said, I am undone. So I'm preaching today. If you want to title this sermon, it's the revelation of undone. Woe is me. I'm a man of unclean lips. I live among people of unclean lips. What is Isaiah saying? We are all undone. Can you imagine what happens around the throne when those words come piercing through? Heaven has heard Isaiah's sermons about how bad God's people are and about how bad the nation is and about how terrible the president is and about how terrible our world is. But heaven didn't move. But when Isaiah said, I'm undone, woe is me. Can you imagine? Just imagine for a minute because Isaiah tells us what happened. But can you imagine when Isaiah, seeing the Lord, he says, Woe is me. Those seraphim, hey, they've been saying, Holy, holy, holy. All of a sudden, one of them said, Wait, did you hear something? It sounded like the preacher saying, I'm undone. Somebody's in distress down there. Somebody's lost their hope down there. Somebody's lost their way down there. And those seraphims who've been crying holy, holy, holy. It's almost, I don't know if they need permission. I don't know if they ask. But the Bible says all of a sudden, one of those seraphims used those flying wings. And the Bible says, then one of the seraphims flew <laughs> flew Lord can you spare me for a moment I know I know I've been I know you're awesome you're holy but but I I hear something Lord one of those seraphims flew and where did he go he said Lord somebody needs comfort somebody's lost their way Somebody's crying out. One of the seraphims flew, the Bible says, first to the altar. He flew to the altar. Oh, that there'd be some more seraphims today that instead of flying to the bathroom or flying to the Mexican restaurant, you'd for once fly to the altar
Say, Lord, while I've been griping about everybody, not only sinners, but church people, and I'm the only one saved, and church people are all hypocrites, and worldly people, they're ignorant, they don't know anything. But this man saying, Lord, it's me standing in the need of prayer. One of the seraphims flew to the altar. You know why he went to the altar? There's a lamb there. I said, there's a lamb there laying in the flames for just this kind of situation, bearing the judgment of every man's sin. There's a lamb there. And the Bible says that angel takes a coal from out of the fire of that altar. And that's not the only flight he made. He flew to the altar and then he flew to Isaiah and touched his lips. Touched his lips, pointing back to the altar, declares, your iniquity is taken away. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Oh, somebody lift your hands right now and thank God for redemption. Didn't have to be merciful. He could snap you dead in just three seconds. He could drop you right now before you ever walk out of those doors. But he's been merciful to you. And that angel touched Isaiah's lips and he says your iniquity has been purged. That Hebrew word means your sin was taken care of there. The sense is that the angel was pointing to the altar. It's like the angel says, hey, your sin was covered there. Your sin was remitted there. (laughs) Thank you, Lord, for so great a salvation. Let me never fail to see you holy, high and lifted up. (laughs) A mighty God. And because that coal touched his lips, fully restored, Isaiah says something else. He hears a conversation. Whom shall I send? Who will go for us? Isaiah says, I'll go. Do you see it? Isaiah before couldn't stand God's people. He's so fed up, he's ready to quit. But now God says, anybody want to go back and reach my people? Isaiah said, I'll go. And go he did. It's not going to be on your screen, but the entire tenor of the book changes in Isaiah Previous to chapter 6, it's pretty bad. It's a bloodbath. After chapter 6, new man. In fact, let me just pause in chapter 9, verse 2. The writer says to the people that this is Isaiah, same man, but his lips are on fire now. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. They that dwell in the land of the shadow of death upon them hath that light shined. Thou hast multiplied the nation and not increased the joy. 
their joy before thee according to the joy in harvest and as men rejoiceth when they divide the spoil. For thou hast broken the yoke of his burden and the staff of his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor as in the day of Midian. Every battle of the warrior is with confused noise and garments rolled in blood, but this shall be the burning and fuel of fire. Verse six, for unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulders, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, and the Prince of Peace. And of the increase of his government and peace, there shall be no, no end upon the throne of David and upon his kingdom to order it and to establish it with judgment and with justice from henceforth, even forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. Look at what a great message of comfort. There's coming a child. I wonder today, in fact, I got to read it. I'm sitting in my office praying about this message. God working me over. I get a text from a godly man. He sends me a text. I say, can I read this when I get done preaching today? Do I have your permission? Here's what I got this morning while praying over this sermon. God is the author and finisher of our faith. Our problem is not with him being the author, but it's with him being the finisher. We want to rush God and not let him be the finisher of our faith. Where were you when he spoke the world into existence? Where were you when he healed that body of cancer? Where were you when he raised the dead? If we will learn that he is God all by himself, and that he does not need our help, we will then learn to take our hands off of our situation and watch him work it out. Why don't we let God be the author and the finisher of our faith today? Come on, lift your hands to the Lord right now. In the name of Jesus, thank you, Lord, for your word.